Welcome to another episode of The Core Podcast, where today we're delving into the ever-evolving landscape of cybersecurity, but also an interesting different topic that I don't normally cover about file transfer. Um, I've got a special guest in today. Chris, thank you so much for joining us to cover this um, topic. We also see that data is becoming kind of like a new currency. So ensuring that it's secure, but also effectively being exchanged, people being able to get access is kind of opening a number of can of worms. I've also dragged Andrew down. Many people don't get to hear Andrew's voice. Because Andrew's normally <laughs> Andrew's normally behind the scenes working with the tech team, but works really closely with the marketing team to make sure topics or guides or webinars or things that we offer are actually of interest. So I've asked Andrew to join us unexpectedly to put his point across. So Chris, before we go into the interesting topic that we're going to discuss today, could you give everyone a bit about about you? Also, I guess the six, seven year journey with Quarter Cloud, where you are now, what you're doing, um, and then we can go a bit more into the topic. Yes. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Not it's a all. pleasure to be here. Um, so, so me, well, I've been working in channel and file transfer for a little bit over 15 years. Um, I, I started out working for a distributor in the UK. Um, I, I was working and looking after a number of solutions as a consultant, working with, with lots of different reseller partners at the time. And um, at, at some point in that journey, bumped into James. Yep. Um, and, uh, as many people do. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's and, how everyone and, bumps um, in. And I, I was asked on a number of occasions to, to present at some of the events that Quarter Cloud mm. are putting together. I, I, I don't want to play it down. Obviously, at the time, it was just one of many resellers we were working with. It wasn't didn't seem remarkable at the time, mm. um, the journey that it's gone on. And, and I've always kept tabs and looked at the website and followed James on LinkedIn and, and kept in touch with him. The journey has been been remarkable. Um, I One of the solutions I looked after at the distributor was uh, Move It, Progress Move It, which is probably, for anybody that knows anything about file transfer or, or watches the news, is, is now familiar with, with Progress Move It. Um, I, I was looking after it in the early days. It was with Ipswich at the time. Mm. Uh, I was actually instrumental in recommending that solution for distribution by the, the distributor that I worked with. So I did the evaluation, provided the recommendation, and it was just natural that then I would become the lead consultant on that solution. And uh, that's the my kind of the, my in, inception into the journey of file transfer. That's where it started. It was mm -hmm. never, never, never did like. I always like to probe people right? on this because growing up, Chris, did you see yourself ending up in this? Like, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Because I don't think any of us land in cybersecurity, and no one I've spoken to on the podcast woke up as a child and yeah. went, "That's what I'm going to do." I'm sure you didn't wake up as a child and go, I'm going to do file transfer. So no. <laughs> what was the dream before and how did you end up in distribution? I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily had a, a dream of what I wanted to be. Okay. I think I was one of those kids that always said, I don't know. Yeah. And was looking for some divine intervention to give me a path forwards. I, I didn't actually really find IT until I, I went to university. Okay. Um, I think that's all of us fair though, to all of us. And for me, IT was lemmings. I had a little bit of an interest in IT. My my parents bought this uh, horrifically tank-looking HP PC when I was a kid. <laughs> when I went to secondary school, they wanted to make sure I could do my homework on a PC. Yeah. So they bought one of those PCs, you know, with a pull-out keyboard tray and all that kind of stuff. And you you knock it and the whole thing shakes with a CRT monitor on top. And that that certainly started my interest in IT. But but actually I I I 
it wasn't until I went to university picked computer science as a course. Okay, so you actually picked it as your course. I did, okay. I did. And and I had a slightly different journey into university than a lot of people have. I, I, I went through sixth form education, got to 18, was horrifically arrogant, thought I can just go find a job. I don't need to go to university. That's, that's, yeah. what, that's what normal people do. Um, worked in Woolworths, if anybody oh, remembers Woolworths, that. Woolworths, Ladybird yeah. Clothes. Wor- worked in there for a year. Came to the dramatic realization: What have I done with my life? <laughs> <laughs> and then enrolled in university a year later. But, okay. but now you're an adult, right? So, I, I had a slightly different mindset in that I was I was now, if if I'm gonna if I'm gonna do this, I've got to do it right, right? And I and I went to school, and I had I had all my peers with me who were one year younger, mm. and and for them it was just an extension of school. They were messing around, they were doing the type of things that students do. But I was very laser focused, and I was still working at Wars, by the way. So nice. Working- Did you get free pick mix? Is that a thing there? Did you get free pick a mix? We didn't get free pick a mix. Oh. No, no, we got we got very little for free. To be, oh, to be honest, I just envisioned that everyone got free pick a mix. So that was the best part about Woolworths <laughs> as a kid. No, we didn't. Uh, uh, <laughs> the nature of how it's displayed in the shop, though, a lot of people walked out with free pick a mix. Okay, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> that's why we went out of the business. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, no, no free pick a mix. Um, but I, yeah, I went to. So I kind of, I, I feel as though I went to university as an adult, and I, and I feel like I had a different mindset. Yeah. And and I feel, I feel as though I applied myself differently than I would had if I've gone straight from sixth form, because I think I would have carried that same horrific mindset well, that I had at the time, another, yeah. which is just another school. Yeah. Um. And 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 I was, I I did computer science. I really applied myself. I realized that I I must have some sort of affinity with things based in logic. I hate saying that about IT because a lot of the time you realize it's not, but, <laughs> but you, th- you like to think it is anyway, academically. Um, so, so I ended up doing really well. I, I, I left with a, a first um, and uh, I took my first job after that in telecoms. So sort of disappeared from IT for some reason. Couldn't tell you why it was a while ago now. Um, and then realized I'd made a mistake and went back yeah. into IT. Hence my, my journey into digital. Of course then telecoms wasn't IT. It is now. And but it was in, just on the cusp at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At the time, it was just a completely separate infrastructure, completely different set of people, organizations, skills. And, you know, people like me have been in the industry a long time. Yeah. They were the enemy. You know, <laughs> uh, they were just seen to be a completely different breed of people altogether. Yes. We don't want anything to do with them. And, of course, then we had to work with them. Yes. Otherwise, nothing would work. Yes, yes. So, um yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from. Well, I joined telecoms just as it was moving into IP telecoms. Yeah. Um, and actually, the, the specific area I was working in was telephone logging. So what we would do is, prior to me joining, when it was when it was more two copper cables, mm-hmm. um, is we would connect into these uh, PSTNs and we would collect all of the the um, the call logging data and, and telecoms companies would use them to track mm-hmm. to see our sales people making enough calls, et cetera. I remember having a meeting with Nortel. Yes. Um and it was about IP telephony because I was working at, at uh, Cisco at yes, the time. Yeah. And that was just at the transition into IT, IP telephony. And they laughed at me in the meeting when I talked about how traditional, um, you know, uh, multiplexer-based, channel-based telecoms is, is uh, its, its life is limited. Mm. And they laughed. Where are they now? Nowhere. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> they went out of business, what, five years later? Because yeah, they missed yeah. the whole thing. It's another Fuji film or Kodak or something like another, that. Exactly. Blockbuster. Kodak. Blockbuster, yeah. yeah, yeah. Didn't take Netflix. Yeah. Now look at them. You missed the opportunity yeah. to start a business there. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
Um, so yes, I I worked in I worked in telecoms, and then what happened was I, I I was looking for another job, didn't have a particular direction I was looking for, but I was contacted by a recruiter who said he had an opportunity with a distributor who worked in cybersecurity, in the IT industry. Cybersecurity is cool, right? So yeah. you, you jump at those you jump at those opportunities, and uh, I joined a distributor in the UK. Um, do we name names? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that. at the time they were called Vigil Software. Yeah. So I joined a company. I think it was fourteen people. I think I may have been the fourteenth. Um, I joined as a consultant. It was being run at the time by the two founders. Mm. They were two New Zealanders who had secured a distribution contract for a New Zealand-based vendor, and uh, they they secured the distribution contract for the UK. So they moved over, started Vigil Software. They were selling one product. By the time I got there, there was about I think we had about ten in the portfolio, something mm. like that. Um, and I was with them, I think, for about seven years, maybe eight years. But I, I was there during us taking on Ipswich, Move It. Yeah. Um, during the acquisition from uh, of, of uh, so Infinigate acquired acquired Visual Software. Yeah. Um, so, and and that's that's was an interesting experience because a lot of people don't survive acquisitions, right? They find that change quite painful. Mm. Um, and that two-year period from acquisition to actually being absorbed into the parent business can always be a challenging period. And I think I also didn't survive it. It's just it's something that was a bit of a delayed reaction. Um, but but I was I was there for about eight years. Um, it was a small business at the time, and um, I was I was younger than I am now, clearly. Um, and I was finding my feet in an industry quite quickly, and just got to the point where there was a bit of a glass ceiling for me because. Right. You know, we, we were we were 30 people by the end, 30, 40 people. Mm. There wasn't a lot of space for me to move. So um, that that's how I got into distribution. There's, there's, a, there's a further story into how I get where I am today, but but I guess I'll, let, I'll wait for you to ask those questions. Well, today you are now looking after file transfer. Correct. <laughs> um, and you've been on a bit of a journey of that because once you left Infinigate, you set up your own business. Correct. So do we want to delve into a bit of that? Or, yeah, sure. Yeah, because sure. that's kind of that was a big choice and going off and doing your own thing. Yes. Um you, you look at things differently at the time than you do in retrospect. <laughs> well, that decision um, that you made. I think if you ask James. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. Yeah, I think James and Mark would say the same thing. That, that day they decided yeah. in Ibiza we're going to set up a business is a big so reflection. People always ask me, they always say, Would you would you do it again? Would you start mm. the business again? And I, and I say to them, give me a few more years to answer that question, because in a few more years, I'll probably say to you, yes, but right now, I still remember all the pain of doing that yeah. um, and all of the challenges that came with doing that as well. Um, so I, at, at Infinigate, I came to a point where it was probably a natural point for me, me to go. And I, I could have probably had a really good career staying there for longer, but it, it felt at the time like I needed to do something else. Um, and, I, and I had this interesting moment. Um, and maybe that level of arrogance came out a little bit again. Um, I, I, ha I had a good friend in the sales team, and and the way Infinigate was structured at the time was we were in we were in railway arches, and we had two railway arches, and technical being one and sales would be in the other, right? Because you've got to have that separation between them. Of course, these two people mix. <laughs> um, and and I had a, a friend um, in the sales team, and 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 she would go out she would go out smoking every so often outside and. And I would sometimes use that as the opportunity. I didn't smoke. I just go out. I'm just just sharing passive information. Passive smoking, right? great. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go out. Yeah, passive smoking was was part of it. Um, but it was an opportunity to to get a little bit more knowledge about what's going on on the other side of the business because mm -hmm. that that physical wall was also a mental wall in the business. Yeah. Um, 
And just because, uh, you know, when you come to the end of working somewhere, you do maybe slack off a little bit. So, so I would go outside and, and, and not smoke and have a smoking break. Mm. Um, and she said to me, it was around about Christmas time. And I remember her saying to me, we're coming to the end of, of the year and I've got a couple of orders and I'm asking these resellers to process them. And they're saying to me, they're too busy. And I remember looking at her and thinking, somebody wants to give them money yeah. and they're saying they're not going to yeah. take mm. it. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll start a business. Mm. Right, it's £12, it might be more now, to start a business on no, a company's house. It's still £12. Yep. Inflation doesn't hit company's house. Mm. Um, I, I said, I'll start a business and I'll get, I'll get registered and I'll, I'll process those orders. Um, and I did that. I processed one of them, uh, not all of them, because um, because you know who wants to who wants to who wants to give money to a business that's not even transacted before. Right? And yeah. I didn't I didn't think of that at the time. I just thought this is easy. Um, so I started that business. I left. Um, I started up this company called Advanced Cyber Solutions. Um, even even stranger, I had I had started uh, dating somebody at that time, and uh, she was originally from Norway. So she told me she was moving back home. So I decided to move to Norway with her. So not only did I start a business, not know anything about sales, marketing, tax, accounting, anything Perfect. apart from what I know, which is the technical side. Um, but I decided to go and do it in another country as well where I couldn't speak the language. So. <laughs> Great, even more helpful. Um, so learning curves is something I do know about. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I bet you're glad you did it though, because um, you don't really think too much about what could go wrong. I mean, you shouldn't really when you're starting a business, otherwise you'd never do it. But you'd yeah. probably regret it if you if you didn't hugely. The, the key the key word is naivety for sure. Yeah. But um I I have discovered about myself, not just in that instance, I am one of these characters that best swims when thrown in the deep end. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um coasting is something that I I, I will become lazy in right mm. because it's easy i'm throw me in the worst case scenario and i, I will always float I'm to the definitely top. the same I'm and, not good. and and that was one of those those situations because i had no idea what i was doing and 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 for the first it was for the first two years people might think that you say that i didn't know what i was doing and there was a learning curve they think two months three weeks something like that two years i made no money really mm. um i was living off savings um we were renting a place in norway famously expensive mm. so i was paying five pound loaves of bread out of my own savings mm. um and watching my my hard-earned cash dwindle out of my mm. account over time <laughs> um and, and what happened was I was I was selling everything but file transfer at that point. Uh, people say why I don't know why at the time. Because you needed the money. <laughs> well, I, I had this grand income. idea that I was going to go and sell a wide portfolio. You can't be too solutions. precious when you need some income, right? Well, yeah, Somewhere, you know, well, I do the whatever, sensible thing. Whatever it is, <laughs> if it if it if it brings in some income, okay. That's but even fine. though you knew file transfer so well, that wasn't your obvious. I'm not going to say that all the decisions I've made have been intelligent. No, it's, it's, it's interesting though, isn't it? The fact that like that was your expertise, you'd brought them on, you knew that. Your thought wasn't like, oh, that's what I'm going to focus on first because I know it. You were just like, portfolio, go. Okay. Hindsight. Hindsight. Yeah, yeah. Um, what happened was, because because I'd worked at Infinigate, um, I, I knew and I'd made connections with Infinigate Norway. So I was living there. And um, they invited me to their Christmas party one year. Nice. Uh, so I went, I went over there and two of the guys that I used to work with at Ipswich huh. were there because, because Infinigate Norway distributed for Ipswich too. And I knew them really well. So of course, you mm -hmm. know, not speaking the local language, I kind of latched onto them yeah. a little bit, speak English to me. Yeah. Um, and uh, they said to me, so why don't you sell our software? And I and I said I don't I don't know shall we <laughs> yeah and 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 um, that was the trajectory upwards so in in year two 
selling pretty much zero. There was a little bit of income. I was doing sort of some consultancy on the side and things like that to, to keep it going. Um, when I when I when the business was finally acquired in I think it was year seven of the business, I was up to I think it was eight hundred thousand pounds in revenue. But I never employed anyone. It was only ever me. Um, and that's a, that was a little bit of a secret that I'm revealing here because I, uh, some of the largest customers that I have are very well-known household brands. Yeah. And they would not have signed me up if they knew that I was one person. Mm-hmm. But they're still our customers today and they still call me directly. Sometimes, mm-hmm. to, my, to my annoyance, they still call me today when they've got support tickets and problems. Um, but that it, just shows the relationship you built with them. And that's yeah, the key you've thing. You've got a trusted that's, relationship. That's the key it, thing. It, it has, it's easy to break, of course, and yeah. difficult to rebuild. But if you've got it, absolutely, uh, it, it, uh, you know, it takes some effort to keep it going, to keep that loyalty. But and you looked after all so those customers on your own? Yeah, so we, I got to... Were I you think, very tired? Yes. <laughs> yes, there, mm-hmm. there are... I'm, I'm only 21, right? Right, right, right. Aren't all of us on this podcast? There, there, are, there are wrinkles on my face that I can point to for certain projects. Yeah, I bet, I bet, I bet. Um, the, I, I, I famously, I, I often say to people, I, I never went on holiday for, for seven years. Yeah. Not entirely true. I did go on holiday, but I always took my laptop with me. And, and invariably, every time I went on holiday, I would get some major P1 support ticket. Or I would always, get, at I, Christmas. But it, would, it was kind of bittersweet because I had this weird thing as well where whenever I went on holiday, I also landed a massive order that I was waiting oh, for. But I'd have okay. to process it as well, so it would still work on the laptop. And I can remember saying to, to my partner, like, uh, we'd be getting ready to go down to the beach or something on holiday, and I'd be like, I'm just going to be an hour. You go down to the beach and I'll catch you up. Um, when, when, when that business was acquired by, by the business I work for today, Protocol, it was the first time I got to go on holiday in seven years and not take a laptop with me. Wow. I found it really difficult, actually. I kept checking my phone and I remember saying to people in the business, if you have a problem, just call me. It's seven hours um, time zone difference. Doesn't matter. Just call me. I'll, I'll help. But it was just because I was in that mindset, permanently in that, in that habit. Exactly. Yeah. And it was your baby. And it was my baby as well. Yeah. Like you'd. Mm nurtured it brought it up like even I'm a nightmare like technically I don't have to be at events I have a very stable team to run them but I'm always floating around hard yeah like is the food all right do you want me to get some napkins (laughs) out the cutlery do you need and they're like what are you doing and I'm like I'm just checking it is that's I think that's been a learning curve for me as well and even like when someone comes in and brings an idea to the table and you're like oh god that's better and being like okay like it's there's some there's some interesting outcomes to that 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 period in my life, the more the more negative side of it is that you get really bad imposter syndrome when you work on your own because you've got no one to check with. Right? Yeah. Everything is your own idea, mm-hmm. and and I still that still comes to get me from time mm-hmm. to time. Do so you get it since you've been like since you've moved and been purchased? Do you sometimes sit there yes. and like be like, oh, how did I do that? Yeah, how did I start this thing and and sell it and I think become if, important? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think if, if you're a naturally collaborative kind of person, being on your own is is very difficult because you don't have anyone there to bounce ideas off or tell you, oh, well, that's that's rubbish. What are you so thinking tough. about that for? You are you're or, both the you, you're the master of your success or your failure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and you, that's yeah. a lot of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And um and those first two years were really tough because it's you, you build that internal voice that says well you're obviously doing something wrong uh, you're not getting this right <laughs> yeah yeah so it, that that's the kind of negative uh, side of it and and uh, we we actually do in protocol now do quite a lot of work with our team to combat imposter syndrome because because there is a level of experience that we have in the business not just in myself but other people as well and it's certainly something I'm keen to recognize in members of my team as well yeah. just because of having lived with that 
and and it's still hanging on. I never had that before before advanced cyber solutions. That was the weirdest thing for me. Is it, it was something almost built up over time. The the more the more positive aspect of it is maybe positive for me, maybe not positive for my peers, is that I now do have a good grounding in sales, marketing, accounting, yeah. all of these things, which is great in, in protocol because I get to lend that experience in those areas. Mm-hmm. Now, my peers who are responsible for that area might just see me as a bit intrusive and annoying. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you've been it, it, it means that I get to look at, there's an element of me being able to look at protocol from a holistic perspective yeah. as opposed to You can to make informed decisions because you've kind yeah. of been there and done it in all of these different areas. So although you don't want to you know, impose yourself too much, you have a really good appreciation of what the issues are they're having to deal with and absolutely. maybe just kind of guide them and direct them yeah, absolutely. based on your experience. Indeed, yeah. So, so what had happened was um, at my, in, in, during my time at Infinigate, I had met a chap called James Lewis, who is the uh, founder and uh, managing director of Protocol, the company I work for today. I'd met him because he was one of our resellers. Um, and uh, when, I, when I left and started my own business, he was one of the first people to call me. Um, and, and, and we would, we would, we had a couple of phone calls throughout the year. I wouldn't say that we were regularly talking mm-hmm. to each other, but he kept, he kept in touch. And, um, in the summer of 2021, he reached out to me via email, wrote, wrote me this huge email. Um, he reached out to me and wanted to inquire about the idea of, of acquiring the business, um, which he, 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 I didn't tell him at the time. But but the answer was immediately in my mind, yes, right. But right. but I was I read the email. I was like, nope, not replying to that right away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think I came back a couple of days later, and you play coy, and you and you yeah, you, yeah. you know you you drag it on and things like that. And Can I ask what your immediate reaction was? Yes. I got to a point where the business was making in enough money where I had to make a decision. It it, it became it became a a thing that I couldn't just walk away from. Right. right. It became almost like this this entity, this person where I either I had to stick with it or I had to make it do something with somebody else. Right. So I wasn't wasn't quite sure at the time whether or not I wanted to stick with it because that meant hiring staff. It, it wasn't tenable that it could continue on as one person. It just wasn't going to work. There, there was a point where I just simply wouldn't have the time mm. to do it anymore. Um, and I I kind of knew that I'd have to take that leap and hire somebody. I'm not naturally I'm a little bit of a risk averse businessman I, I don't I'm not doesn't sound like I don't it. like risk <laughs> no, I know it doesn't sound like it sounds like it's laden with risk when it come, yeah it's a good point <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's money maybe I'm a bit risk averse with money then maybe that's the better way to describe it because you knew you had the money in the bank you'd have to start spending it and getting yeah, people and I was just in concerned and... about this idea if you hire someone and six months later you've got to make them redundant or something because you couldn't afford it... them or something like that I, I was yeah. really, really worried about something like that and um and I was building up a significant war chest in this business, but I could never seem to get over the idea of, but I don't, I, I want to, I was like, this has sort of magpie mindset, but keep it in there just yeah. in case. And um, I spoke to my partner a few times and, and she was encouraging me to take on staff. Actually, she was, she was put on um, she furlough went holiday. during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, she she went holiday. <laughs> she was put on furlough during the pandemic and I actually hired her in that period to make sure that she had an income. Yeah. Um, so we did actually, we did technically have two employees for a while, but she's not, she's not in IT. So there was limited what she could do. Um, but she was encouraging me to hire people. I just, I don't know if I was, may, maybe if I'd hung on for longer, I probably would have done that. Mm. But um, I never got to that point. James intervened at the right moment. Yeah. Um, and I, the way, the way I saw it was he, he was a competitor. We, we were selling the same software and services. So he was a competitor. 
For him, it was very simple. He wanted to acquire the customers because he sells the same solution. It's just a renewal, just a continuation of a renewal. Um, but also he wanted the technical leadership in the business, which is what I could bring to the business. Um, so he was acquiring both the business and the person effectively. Mm. Um, and it, it, was, it was an opportunity for me to, the way I often describe it is it was two trains heading in the same direction. One's just moving a lot faster. Protocol had more staff than I had. It had more money, it had more expertise. I could jump onto that other train and get to the same destination just a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, and that's that was my kind of justification to myself that that was the right decision. So the acquisition was completed December 2021. And that's when I joined Protocol as I, I have two titles, Director of Strategic Alliances, because I, I have that tenure in the marketplace. I, I know mm -hmm. lots of people. I know lots of vendors. <clears throat> I can help to guide us in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also the uh, director of technical. So I look after mm -hmm. a technical team providing services, yeah. both pre-sales and post. Very good. So bringing it around to the cybersecurity and landscape of this, and people might be listening, okay, so what's file transfer got to do with the cybersecurity conversation? Um, there's been two major breaches since that you we can talk about publicly because we know they're public um so one that was the go anywhere and yes. then obviously the more well-known was the the move it one obviously yes. you didn't work for these but your your customers would have felt the pain of that yes could you speak talk to us a little bit about that and the implications of of that side of things and what you guys learned yeah, absolutely. At your current company. So, so I, the first thing I would say is, is that file transfer has always had a connection to cybersecurity or information security, maybe more specifically, because the, the nature of the solutions and the way they're used is they're often transferring either personal data from mm -hmm. a data protection perspective, or they're transferring things like financial data, orders, but it's always considered to be business sensitive. Right. So there is always a link between file transfer and, and security, but it, it's always been a case of we're acquiring a solution to move files from A to B. Now let me introduce you to our security team who are going to take over from here, right? Mm. It's never been the lead. It's mm. always been yeah. the, you've got to satisfy their requirements and then we move back on to the conceptual yeah. requirement of moving files. It could be a legacy thing because security was never really, it was kind of like an add-on at some point yes. when, when you're talking about, you know, um, large-scale uh, networks, point-point networks or Absolutely. or network infrastructure. Security was always kind of a bit of an afterthought, really. Yes. No one really maybe didn't understand it properly to understand, or maybe the, the level of risks then weren't as, as prominent as they are now. But for whatever reason, it always seems to be a little bit of an add-on. Yes. As, and, as opposed to security first absolutely. mindset. And, and in the in the file transfer market is is synonymous with things like FTP, right? The protocol FTP, which yeah. is which is we, we now actively discourage because there's no security built into it. Yeah. But, but we we work with vendors who have been in the marketplace for 30 plus years, right? So they they go back to a time in IT where security wasn't the first yeah. thinking point. It wasn't the first discussion. Yeah. It's something that's evolved over time. So you're, you're absolutely right. To some degree, our industry has been rooted in a time where it's not been a requirement. It's been a requirement over time. Mm. But, but actually in the past 12 months or 2023 specifically, Security is something that's not just been injected into our industry. It's really come and slapped us in the face. Um, right. So at the beginning of 2023, I, I think it was February, but but it's easy to Google this and find the, the, the correct dates. Um, there was a publicly disclosed vulnerability in a, a solution that's owned by a company called Fortra, which is called Go Anywhere. Um, Go Anywhere is 
probably the market leader for file transfer solutions for the small, medium-sized uh, businesses. They, they certainly work in enterprise, but I think they are absolutely number one for, mm-hmm. for small and medium-sized businesses. Um, that, that had a, a, a quite a significant impact for us uh, because we, it's one of our, our, our primary vendors. We, we, we have a, a section of vendors called core vendors. They are, they are a significant part of our business. Um, and it, it was something that had not really happened in the file transfer space. There is an example of this in the past, but it, it hadn't really happened really. It, it, it hadn't happened in the time that I, I suppose, had worked in file transfer and wasn't 100% prepared for the fallout of, of, of what it would create. Um, we, we naturally had almost every single customer contact us or send a support ticket in to say, what oh do we God. do? Mm-hmm. Now, we we probably service something in the region of around 120 support tickets a month. We're talking about getting something like 500 in a week. Wow. Whoa. Uh, it, it, like, it, huge. We weren't... We were having to learn on the fly how to rapidly communicate with a vendor that didn't have a senior leadership team in the UK. Most, a lot of these vendors are based in the US. So we were, you know, we were finding this out in the morning and then having to wait sort of five hours to get any beginnings of steer. Um, Fortress is a very large company. They've, they've obviously got a legal team. Um, legal team intervenes on some of the messaging as well, which mm-hmm. delays things further and, and, and I suppose uh, waters things down a little bit. So we, we were struggling to get a message out to our customers to, to be able to help them best. But um, what we were able to do is mobilize our technical team to to effectively just uh, connect into every system that we could. Some of those systems we had unattended access to as part of our or, or the arrangements we already had with customers. Some of it was we were just having to phone the customer and say, "Can we can we help you? Make sure that you're you're safe." Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, we had the marketing team sending out an email to the customers that hadn't already figured this out to, yeah. to let them know as well. Um, and it was a, a very busy time. We we track our professional services output and our support output in our business, and the the graph for the month of. January or February, I can't remember which one it is now, there is a, a huge spike. bar, <laughs> a spike in, in the output that, that, we, um, that we provided. Um, so we, we learned a lot from that. One of the things that I guess we learned was not, we were just throwing resource at a problem, right? Because we didn't necessarily know how to handle it. Um, I think we, we realized that we needed more of an incident response plan for those situations. Now, as a business, we have incident response plans for our own breaches and vulnerabilities and problems in our own business. We weren't necessarily um, geared towards doing that for customers that are... And the are, mass. It was like and, a and huge mass. And the mass of it as yeah. well, yeah. And we're not, we're not a terribly big company, but we have a significant number of customers. Mm. Um, so we, uh, we, now, now we have somewhere, I think, between 600 and 700 customers, but we're, well, I think we're 32 people. So if, if, if every single one of our customers needs our attention, that's a lot. That's a lot. And in a small amount of time as well, because everybody at that point in time is banging on the table saying we are vulnerable help us yeah we need it now um absolutely and everybody's the most important in their own estimations of course they were in their own in and also in their own world right and were you was the was it as bad as what you guys thought it was going to be was actually most people okay like what was the kind of like the landscape of it when you started 
peeling back and looking? Uh, it, it's, it depended. Um, right. So some, some customers were, so there was a vulnerability in the mm. software um, and it was, it, was a, it was a vulnerability with a very high CVSS score. Um, so most customers are banging on the table just simply because it existed. Yeah. But there were some customers who had um, made available a particular portal in the solution to the, to the internet they thought they had done all they needed to do by by having a strong username and password and maybe two-factor mm-hmm. authentication but actually uh, the nature of this vulnerability meant that none of that mm-hmm. none of that mattered um, and there were some customers who had um, evidence or artifacts on their solution to show that there had been unauthorized access in the solution and, and as I mentioned before the nature of these solutions means we are 99% of the time moving sensitive data Okay. And we're often transferring data between our customer and a third party. So it's not just a breach in the eyes of our customer, but also their entire supplier chain and everybody yeah. else mm-hmm. that they interact with as well. And we know that supply chain is a massive target for it attackers and a, and a growing one yeah. as well because they get very successful yes. at it because of the complexities of the relationships yeah. between all these different uh, applications and databases and so on. Absolutely. And the, the, the rate at which data is transferred it's um it's a it's a gift to an attacker. Absolutely, they don't really have to look very far for uh, exploiting existing vulnerabilities. Absolutely, yeah. Were there best practices that came out of that, or things that you guys learned, or how did that, I suppose, evolve your business and what you offered your customers? Because I'm assuming a breach made you guys will sit back and think, right, this is probably where we can help them more. Yeah, absolutely. So as I say, our, our initial response was a little bit chaotic and quite scattergun yeah. approach. Um, we we certainly learned from that experience. And and so what, what happened was is we came around to June, so four months later, mm. and there was another vulnerability disclosed in our industry, but for a different solution. Yay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, um, and this was a solution that had been in the marketplace uh, for longer. So this is the Move It solution, yeah. which is the one that I had the longest tenure with. Um, and um, it, was a, it was a breach that probably wasn't any more significant than the one that we'd seen in February. But the customer base of this particular solution was more significant mm. um, and, and it attracted the attention of the media. So the, the mm-hmm. lots of media outlets, including our own BBC and, and foreign mm-hmm. media as well, were all publishing articles about this breach. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to name any companies that were mentioned in these articles yeah. just for fear of getting it wrong. But yeah, yeah. you can certainly Google this breach and there'll be there'll be lots of examples of companies yeah, that we, have admitted we, to those we did breaches. articles on it and we even did it in our magazine and stuff like yeah. that. So it was a one yeah, that we all discussed. Yeah, indeed, and and so we had, but we had learned a lot of lessons from the previous breach. Um, so we were able to get communication out to our customer base quickly. Um, I'm sure there's always an argument that it's not quick enough, but as quick as we thought we could. Mm. Um, I remember specifically we were going to have a management dinner. And we learned about the breach and actually myself and a couple of the managers, including the the, the manager of marketing, um, the head of marketing, I should say, is his his proper title. um, We ended up having to hold back and and delay the reservation so we could get communication out. Um, We again had that spike in our output because we were communicating with customers proactively and, and they were asking us to come and help patch their systems. But that time, I think we were far more efficient in our response. We were far more considered. We learned the mistakes before. And there was there were still things to learn in, in the Move It breach as well for us. But we, we had a more honed approach than we had had previously. 
you we were talking about it offline earlier as well. So their file transfers is not just like there are lots of solutions, aren't there? And there's lots of different ways of doing it. And it can yep. be on the cloud. It can be so yep. I guess from you guys as an expertise, what do you provide if someone is either thinking about it or already using it but not getting the most of it? What kind of do you suggest as some best practices that you guys do as a business for Absolutely, your customers yeah. um so protocol the company i work for today we have been in the marketplace well february will be our 20th birthday the company is Are you having a party um we spoke about it in the last management meeting but okay. i don't i don't know if enough thought has gone into it mm. yet so there needs to be a party um, i'm hoping years is a long time. we need a steering committee or something i'm, I'm already <laughs> discussing the tenure it's next year next year 10 year next year yeah wow what are we gonna i think fireworks off the castle <laughs> <laughs> we did. We had a. I think we had a company. We had a company breakfast and presentation for the 18th birthday, because it's kind of it's, it's, it's James's it's his company Tiffany, founded. Yeah. Right? So it was this big thing about you know company comes of age. It's 18 years old. Yeah, that's nice. Um, but I think 20 is a nice rounded number. Yeah. And, and the business is significantly different from two years ago. We, we've we've grown rapidly and we've really added to the headcount professionalization of the business as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've we've been we've been doing this for a long time, and we 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 solely specialize in file transfer and data exchange. So. We, we have people in the business that have been with us almost 10 years, particularly in the, in the technical team. Um, there are people that are almost godlike in their, in their mm. knowledge of this space. Um, so we, a lot of our customers come to us for that niche, right? We are, I, I sometimes use the analogy, you know, if, you, if you're really going to impress someone with a steak dinner, you're not going to go and buy it from the supermarket, you go mm-hmm. to the butcher. Yeah. And, and we are, we're kind of that analogy with, with a butcher. We specialize in this area. Um, so we are able, I feel like we're uniquely placed to not just provide uh, recommendations based on solutions themselves, but actually more more kind of uh, vendor agnostic recommendations as well. Things we see across solutions that we think we can borrow from one and apply to the other. Um, so, so there's lots of things that, that you can do. We, we advocate not having things like administration portals available on the internet. Sounds obvious, but that was a, a, a key problem in in these breaches um we recommend ip filtering as well again sounds obvious but wasn't being Mm -hmm. done in all cases we recommend the use of only secure protocols now nothing i'm saying here probably Mm -hmm. stands out as being amazingly innovative but you Mm -hmm. you would be surprised at the proportion of businesses that are not (laughs) important in in terms of the, the the customers that you that you serve you've mentioned that a lot of them are quite well known household names yes they tend to have people in the organization with skills that can at least understand what the problem is Mm. and know where to go to try and get it fixed. What about with the kind of smaller to medium size business, particularly when, um, because we we assume now that digital technology is everywhere, but it it, it isn't really. There's still smaller and medium sized enterprises still trying to digitize their, their businesses. So that's really just going to compound their problem with Absolutely. with with more data, um, you know, being interchanged with their suppliers and partners and and customers, but they don't necessarily need. They don't really understand what that mm. threat looks like or what uh, to do about it. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop saying you um, you will be surprised. I'm saying you may be surprised. <laughs> from now on. Um, you, you may be surprised. Even the larger companies, um, they they may have the skills in the security team, mm. but not necessarily how to apply that to the individual solutions themselves. Right. So we we speak to lots of security specialists and SOC teams, but they don't necessarily they they know what they want to achieve, but they don't necessarily know how to <clears> apply <throat> that in the file transfer world. Um, As in, it's too specific because it's too niche and yeah. it's too specialized, and and not just that. What what we're finding is is that as as this as this industry matures 
it naturally becomes more complicated. It becomes more more specialized. Yeah. And those skills are in in there's fewer of them available. So so I get I get to almost pitch a little bit uh, here, I suppose. Um, we have recognized that challenge in the marketplace um, l- long before the pandemic mm-hmm. because it's be- because it being a niche space, we've always had challenges in small, medium-sized businesses and sometimes in enterprises where they don't have file transfer expertise in their business. But certainly post-pandemic, lots of retirement, changes of career, yeah. um, people just changing the way that they want to work. Yeah. Um, there is a significant... Um, I was almost going to say crisis. I don't want to make it sound too too red alert, but there is a significant challenge in the file transfer space where there is a lack of expertise. And, and one of the things that we've done in, in combating that is we now offer a managed service where what, what we do is we essentially say, look, we've got the expertise. Mm-hmm. Why don't we sell you 15-minute slices of time which you can dial on, mm-hmm. you, you can call upon us, and you can ask us to use 30 minutes of it, an hour, two hours, whatever the, the task in, entails. And we will provide that time for you to make sure that not, not only is it achieved, but it's achieved in the best possible way yeah. because we've seen yeah, how yeah. you should do yeah. this hundreds yeah. of times. I think the, 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 the challenge, not just with this, um, but it might be worse or let's say more challenging your, in your uh, case when, when you are quite niche. But with, te- with technology in general, it's always difficult to try and reach the people who are running the customer's organisation to realise how important that is. Yeah. And if they don't realise how important that is, they're unlikely to actually allocate any budget to the IT team, Absolutely. the security team. Yeah. So it's, it's trying to get that, that compelling message across to the business to say, okay, it might be niche, it might be very small, relatively cost-efficient, maybe value I don't know, but it's probably like a, a tiny proportion of yeah. their overall IT spend. But the impact of not having it is absolutely huge because mm. the last thing you want is for your information to be breached whilst absolutely. it's traversing. The, so it, it has a massive impact if, if, um, if something does happen. Mm. But the, the solution and the spend is a relatively small portion of the overall. But how do you get that message across? To the people who are going to make, I, I'd them. certainly like to think that we're cost-effective. So, if it, <laughs> of course, of course, without saying, Chris. But um, it, it, it's. I always think that some good IT solutions don't make noise. Right? They do yep. their job, and, and and it's as simple as that. They don't cause problems inside of networks. At the same time, those solutions are the ones that don't get noticed. Yeah, right? and and nobody realizes how important. Isn't that like they are. everything in life, though? If something runs seamlessly, you absolutely have no idea. Yeah of all the hard work or what that thing is doing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I always joke about that with the events here. Like if, if, if when, you, <laughs> when you take marketing out, everyone wonders where there's no tea or coffee or where yeah. the sugar's not People out. People notice or, when something's not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, gotta, the yeah, heating's yeah. not on. Why is the heating not on? Well, marketing didn't know about the event. Oh, well, the, it's, it's just those things, isn't it? Like things happen smoothly in every department and we'd yeah, be yeah. the same if something technically went wrong. But if technically wasn't, if tech were never involved, it's, it's when something runs too well that it just just doesn't get seen or no one knows want, how hard work. I want James working. to know that it, it, I've, I've not convinced you that you need to do a worse job to get noticed. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to come in tomorrow. <laughs> no, 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 but I, I, I sometimes think, yeah, when even, I don't know, everyday life, when something, well, when you drive your car, you, you don't, you're not grateful that it works really well yeah. every day and then yeah, the yeah. tire goes flat and then you're like, oh God, but you don't, respect the tire every day you get no, in and it's absolutely. just so it's like that sort of thing anything that's just makes your life easy yeah. it's like when the kettle doesn't work or 
I don't know. I've moved into my new house this week, so I'm really understanding when things don't work, like <laughs> things that you expect. Like, why is my shower not getting hot? Like, mm. just silly things that you take for granted. So yeah. it's the same in, in life, isn't it? it? It is. And you would be, I was always, always, always going to say it, you, you may be surprised at, at how often we see, considering that file transfer is, has been a, a, around as a, a solution stack for about 30 plus years, yeah. you would be surprised how many very well-known brands that you may be very respectful of have these solutions that they they just haven't looked at for 10 plus years yeah. and then suddenly a fault develops no surprise yeah then it and then they realize wow well, this runs our entire order processing system. Typical, <laughs> typical lack of governance though isn't it you know pe- people in people think things are built in an ad hoc way Absolutely. and if if they install something and it works they tend to forget about it and something goes Absolutely. wrong they don't have this kind of disciplined governance approach where they can actually look at what do we need to do? Is it still working? Do we need to replace it? Do we need to upgrade it? Do we need to retire it? What do we need to do to it? Um, and if everybody did that, then we'd be out of a job. Absolutely. <laughs> and and it's, it's, one of these, it's one of these interesting things because file transfer is not the loudest voice in the room by, by any means. In fact, mm. I, I often, when in conversations with our own marketing team, say to them, you know, I, I measure the ability to market something on whether or not your friends and family know what you do for a living. Mm-hmm. And no, nobody really understands what we do for a living. Um, <laughs> so file transfer is used in almost everything. So if for someone like me, who's not technically sound, mm. can you give me an example of where file, because we kind of mentioned Amazon earlier. So anyone that might not be technical or maybe a marketeer, that's impacted by file transfer, right? Absolutely. And how, how is that impact? Someone, can you explain that process? And then well, maybe yeah. everyone will understand the importance of it if you've ordered something on Prime and want it tomorrow. Yeah, so this isn't a specific use case for Amazon themselves. No, we're just we, using it how, how we as users, yeah. we expect things more, don't we? We expect Absolutely. things quicker, we expect Absolutely. things now, yeah. and we, we, we don't wait around. A, a big part of what we do is e-commerce and retail. Um, so if we, if, we, if we go from the beginning, you place an order on a website. Yeah. Um, that that order has to go to an order processing system that may have to communicate with a with a card provider of some sort. So you might have to communicate with your bank. Yeah. Um, then that order has to go to the warehouse team for it to be to be picked off of the shelves, and it has to be labelled. So there has to be something going to the labelling machine. And I think Amazon have automatic cardboard packaging machines now, so it probably has to go to that as well. I don't well. know how they do it so quick. I was talking about this today. I ordered something last night. I opened my front door. It was there. Mm-hmm. That's weird, isn't it? I mean, yep. great. The, the, weird. Well, they were the pioneers of e-commerce, weren't they? When they were just selling books. Online. I know, I know. Yeah. I mean, that's why I used to yeah, buy my yeah. books in uni. Right, so that's all file transfer. That's Those all actions, file transfer. Yeah, right? yeah. And, then, okay. and then there's all of the, we talk about supplier chains. So then there's uh, the, the logistics of then delivering that to right. the person, right? Now, I know Amazon typically uses their own logistics networks. Now, but other but, people but use other DPD. Other, other people, or, yeah, yeah, DPD, Royal Mail, Parcel Force, all of these guys. Um, there needs to be communication with them. Now, that's not happening manually. Amazon's not calling them up saying, I need to, Tracy, I need to book in a, a, a collection to deliver to Worcester or somewhere like that. That's yeah. all happening automatically without any human touch. Um, and that's all taking place using these types of file transfer tools. And they're all transferring the data and the information. So they're transferring my name, my address, yep. my card details. Absolutely. And, and now, and, and you touched and you touched on some interesting areas there because you've got personal data. Yeah. You've got financial data. Yeah. And now, now you're starting to bring in the scopes of at least two uh, frameworks that I can think of. Right. Data protection in terms of uh, the data protection. And also the G- the going off to it and like on um, text message phishing, that if someone's getting into that loop, they're also realizing that you've bought something and that it's got to deliver. Because I, I've noticed since I've moved into my new house, I'm getting weird text messages about. 
there's a delivery and it's stuck in a depot. And then I look at it and it's only because I'm in the industry. I'm like, I haven't ordered anything from that depot. And, I de- and it's coming saying that you need to pay an yeah. amount to release it from the depot. Yeah. No, I know. I, yeah, no, no, I know. But <laughs> I'm guessing someone's picking up somewhere. Someone's gone, right? She's moving or there's a vast amount of deliveries or her address is changing. Because yep. I feel like in the last kind of two weeks, more weird emails are coming to me in text messages. And even my husband, because he was like, oh, when are BT coming? And I was like, we're not having BT. We're having Giga Clear. And he was like, oh, I was just going to message this back. And I was like, please don't, <laughs> no, don't click do on anything. And I've just realized. So I'm guessing, could that yeah. information being picked up for all the absolutely. file transfer and um, my mad shopping yeah yeah there's, there's absolutely the potential in file transfer um, workflows to have man in the middle attacks yeah um, totally um, there, there there could be just breached systems where they're able to view either the source or the destination of a file transfer workflow yeah. a- absolutely those, those things are possible um, but it goes back to best practices right so so we we certainly but, but there's information online too but we certainly are there to be able to help people navigate in that journey and make sure these things are as secure as possible um, but yes, it, it, and it's not just we, we do some some cool things as well. We work with a, an oil exploration company, so so their ships are out somewhere in the the Atlantic or the yeah. North Sea. They're using things like Starlink and our mm-hmm. solutions to be able to communicate back on coordinates yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, and all of the kind of radar maps that they're producing of the seabed. Um, who, who else do we work with that's, that's interesting and noteworthy? You, you mentioned times. Time times really interesting in our industry because the, one of the biggest security is important. But I would say that if we strip security away. The thing that most of our customers are looking for is rapid transfer. And they, and they need it to be guaranteed, right? If that file was meant to be there once a day at 3 o'clock, can't be there at 3.01. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's got to get there. And, and, and because it has impacts, right? So specifically with e-commerce, they're often promising us delivery times. Mm-hmm. And the way they're doing that is they're removing inefficiencies in their businesses, often human factors, and introducing automation as a way of making sure these things get out the door as fast as possible. And file transfer plays a part in that. If it's not available or it's slow or it's backed up mm-hmm. or something's happened to it, yeah. then you're, you're potentially knocking out that delivery guarantee of 24 hours to 48 hours. And they may they may owe you a, a, some compensation for that yeah. or have to yeah. refund you for it. Yeah. So Especially they, in things like just-in-time manufacturing where you have uh, this su- supply chain that has to work when it's supposed to work because the consequences are knock-on effect. There's something breaking down in the middle. Yes, are incredibly expensive. Absolutely, and this and, and this is kind of ties into what we were talking about before, which is we often find that because file transfer is not screaming out every week for some kind of assistance or, or helping it to move, these systems are sometimes a little bit forgotten. And then when they do break down, they break down something critical in the business that the business then has to unpack and figure out what is this thing that we've mm. ignored for the last X number yeah. of years. Um, it, it's incredible how many systems we still upgrade from God knows how long ago. Um, I mean, it's a great business for us. But <laughs> What does the next 12 to 24 months hold in terms of how the file transfer landscape is changing or how companies use data transfer in different ways as yeah. anything that stands out that we need to be aware of? Um, I think in terms of the technology itself, it's it, it really is a focus on security now. Those two incidents in, in 2023 have really shone a spotlight on, on security in our marketplace. And, and certainly those vendors out there that weren't part of that breach have, have capitalized on that opportunity to draw some customers away from those unfortunate vendors into their 
into their worlds. But does that mean they're necessarily safer though? Like if not necessarily. I, 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 in my opinion, um, and, and I'd like to think that's a fairly fairly grounded opinion given my experience. I don't think that it's a failure on the part of those solutions. Yeah. Vulnerabilities are a, a natural part of of our of our industry um, in cybersecurity at least. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's not a question of when. Sorry, it's not a question of if. It's, it's a question of when. when. Right? Yeah, they're getting. Um, and and having worked at a cybersecurity distributor, having worked with lots of other cybersecurity solutions, I, I know that right. Yeah. The file transfer space is just a little bit new to that, but they are a natural target. Whoever is is, is producing, whoever is exploiting these vulnerabilities recognizes that file transfer solutions are moving significant data, data. That, that is sensitive to businesses. And it's now become a target. With enough time and pressure, they are going to find the holes in these solutions. And that's effectively what happens. The two largest players in our marketplace are the two that, that had vulnerabilities. Um, and that's just because they're the ones with their names in the lights. Uh, mm. it, it doesn't mean that they're the ones that are least secure. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, but it's we, 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 do, we do find that there is a trend towards security. And if we're working with new customers now, when it comes to evaluating solutions, the primary focus is security. Um, in fact, we're, we're now getting security questionnaires far earlier in the procurement process, and the procurement process is, is more involved in security as well. Um, in terms of trends that are maybe a little bit more common across lots of aspects of IT is uh, sort of uh, solution and vendor consolidation. Mm -hmm. So where in the past we, we would have had maybe I'll make up a number and say 20 different MFT vendors out there. There's this kind of gobbling up of, of solutions and vendors out there, mm. um, often by VC-backed businesses. Yeah. And, and we're seeing a consolidation. And, and, yeah. and sometimes there's some casualties of that, right? Yeah. If they've acquired two of the same solution, one yeah. will end up with a lack of development or, or, or just not going ahead in terms of its roadmap. Mm. And, and we are, we're, we're seeing a little bit of the effects of that now. Mm. There, there's, there's a significant consolidation, which is, which is continuing. It, it's a natural thing, isn't it? When you get this explosion of, of startup businesses because something is is on trend, mm. yeah. and you know the general statistics of of one in startup, uh, something like nine in ten startups failing, mm. plus the natural consolidation because some of them just don't know how to go to market or capture the market opportunity or execute very well, and they just get gobbled up and, and left behind. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. and that has you know an impact on the poor customer because they've already made an investment mm. in mm. that. Mm -hmm. What do they do? <laughs> yeah, and, and it's maybe a, a little bit of a cynical view. My, my, I've I've seen a couple of these consolidation phases in in my career, and and I've I, seen quite a lot. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and I've never never really felt as though they have worked out the way that they were intended to. So. My concern with some of these consolidation runs is they they kind of stifle innovation a little bit. You you end up having a product that was really cool, doing something really interesting, gets grabbed by a massive player in the marketplace. You see that though, and all, all the marketing changes, and it's not well, a the lot same of the like, employees leave as yeah, well. We, we spoke well, earlier the about DNA acquisitions, and a lot of people yeah. not surviving those processes. You mm. end up lo losing eighty percent of the staff. The, yeah. the new business doesn't quite understand the value proposition of that solution anymore mm. and, and and maybe it doesn't doesn't go in the direction that we thought it was going to yeah. go yeah so so that that's my kind of cynical view of it but of course customers do benefit from other aspects right it's a larger company it's probably got better support so there's there's going to be all sorts of things they benefit from in terms of knowledge bases yeah. and, and things that maybe the previous company wouldn't have had so there there's both sides to that coin Cool. Um, but vendor, vendor consolidation, for sure, is a big yep. trend in this marketplace. And it's, it seems to be gathering some pace in file transfer specifically. Yeah, cool.
Yeah, we can agree with that. I think we're really on the whole supply chain, knowing what you've got and where your where your weaknesses are. It's massive. It is it massive. Really is, I mean, yeah. file transfer is like another one, then, isn't it? To add to the list of yeah. things that you should be. Well, it's 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 strongly connected mm. with the yeah. supply chain, obviously. Um, so I think you know, looking at the look at the, well, I mean, we should look at things holistically anyway. But there are things that naturally kind of fit together um, that uh, need some focus on. Mm, absolutely. I like to close the podcast episode with the same question, Chris. Why would you encourage someone to join cybersecurity or tech in some way, shape, or form as a job? Wow, that's a. That's a very big question, isn't it? Mm. Um, well, the fact that we can't get people into the industry and you know you're struggling on your side, why would you say it's something that if you're listening to this and thinking of a career change or maybe you're at college right now and not knowing where to go, why would you encourage someone to join us? I think I think some of the challenges that we've had in cybersecurity have been a little bit of our own creation. I, I don't think that we offer enough development positions in cybersecurity companies. I was very lucky joining Infinigate. I didn't have any cybersecurity experience prior to that. And they they kind of, I guess, took a chance on me. Yeah. Um, they saw the opportunity for me to develop and learn. But but I'm these days when I see job adverts for cybersecurity positions, they're asking for X number of years of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to we need to we need to be nurturing the growth of this industry as well as use, using the people that already yeah, exist yeah. within yeah. it. And I think I think there is a there is a unique challenge that we have in our industry where we have to collectively say I'm not going to rely on other people training them and then I use them once they've once they've left that role. We actually all need to create these apprentice apprenticeship low level roles that Absolutely. Where people join, and we have been doing that. So so I'm, I'm dying by my own sword here a little bit. We 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 have. We have done that recently. We we do encourage people to join the team in in sort of lower rank positions, and we build them up. Mm. Um, and we're not we're not naive. These people will leave at some point, but but we've helped them in that journey, right? And wherever they go, they're contributing to the cybersecurity industry, and that's fantastic. Um, but the other the other thing as well is, and and this is changing, and I'm glad this is changing. But when I when I first started out in cyber cybersecurity, it was impossible to hire anybody in cybersecurity who was female it just didn't yeah. happen it was it was like it was it was harder it was, it was almost as bad a unicorn it was mm. it was it was like going to get your car uh, repaired by a mechanic and and it being a female mechanic right it is it's almost it's you you almost see that as unusual if yeah. that happened and 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 certainly when i joined the industry that was impossible i remember us uh, hiring for roles and we would say we really need some women in this team because it's just six men um and and we would we would have loved to have hired a lady in that role, but nobody applied who was female. Well, we, we could spend another hour talking about <laughs> that's a whole, that's a whole diversity other, yeah. and skills and development and yeah, a whole other easily, topic we can come back on. That is changing. That is changing because we uh, in my consultancy team now we we do have a, a, a female consultant who is fantastic. Um, she, we often joke because her name's Sam. And 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 the, the default response from anybody who only emails her, her is to think that she's a man, man. right? Yeah. Um, but that that comes from that that past of us not having any female representation mm. in our industry. Uh, but that that is changing. It is absolutely changing. Um, and and we and, and we are seeing now more females appearing in mm. in the candidate and the application process. So, I suppose not not one that we 
uh, can fundamentally change, but one that I think is changing and we can yeah. continue to encourage to change. So I think it's it's a case of two things. One, we need to nurture uh, new entry into, into yep. cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. We absolutely need to do that from the ground up. But we also need to get away from this kind of notion that IT is a man's absolutely. industry. We, we have to get away from that. Absolutely. Well, because we're all impacted by IT. Every single one of us. We're just talking about Amazon. Absolutely. And I need my shopping. So we've got to make sure it's protected, right? Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you will be back again because I think it's six years since I last saw you. So that's it quite is. a long, long it time. Um, so we hope you'll come back. Maybe we can come down and see you. Yeah. Um, um, but thank you so much for joining us. Andrew, thanks for spending an hour on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> thank you. Thank you both. Thank you.